This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Come with me, please, to uh, Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter, no, Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, I beg your pardon. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, and Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. Mark 5, and then Luke 8. And again, we're breaking into this story because Jesus was on his way to the home of Jairus uh, to raise his little daughter from the dead. And as you know, he was interrupted on that journey by the little woman with the issue of blood. Verse 25 of Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up And she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitudes thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And then I look at chapter 8, telling the same story, but slightly different wording. Verse 43. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians, and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. Then Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The story of this woman with the issue of blood is a remarkable account of one woman's faith and resilience in the face of great adversity. It is one of tremendous victory because she got a fantastic breakthrough from God at the end of it. And Matthew and Mark and Luke all record the details for us in their Gospels. We just read two of them. And so I feel encouraged by this woman's faith. I feel encouraged by it because... It's both profound and yet it's simple. It's profound in that an incurable disease 
was instantly cured. It was profound. It had never happened before. And then it was simple, simple in the fact that her faith was simple. Simple faith. This is an act of simple faith that God truly honored. And so I want to look tonight again, and maybe with fresher eyes, and look at this account of this woman's healing. And I'll alliterate a little bit tonight. I don't normally alliterate, but I will a little bit tonight, if you don't mind. And first of all, I want to look at the desperation of her faith. This woman's faith was forged in the fires of desperation. For 12 long, painful years, she lived with a debilitating illness that not only caused her great physical suffering, but also made her socially and spiritually terribly disadvantaged. And not only that, she ended up materially destitute. She had nothing. These were the 12 longest years and the hardest years of her whole life. In Mark 5, it says that she suffered many things of many physicians. She visited every doctor in town and every quack doctor in the country she could find. She was desperate for an answer to her great need. And according to the Talmud, uh, there, was, there was really some strange so-called cures in those days. You say, David, what in the world is the Talmud? Well, let me just briefly, as a little aside, let me tell you what the Talmud is. What we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew, or the Jews call that the Hebrew Bible. It's their Hebrew Bible, Hebrew Scriptures. And we know that contains the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Then there's the historic books. And then there's the prophetical books and the Psalms and so forth, the, the writings. All of that together is the, the Hebrew Bible, the, the, the Tanakh, as they would call it. And that served them really, really well. But on top of that, in order to explain the laws of God, then they had all these oral traditions and oral laws that they had garnered and had made in order to try to explain things a little bit easier. And that continued on for centuries. In fact, until AD 70, whenever the temple was raised, just as Jesus prophesied, and the, the Jews were scattered to the ends of the earth and the priesthood was dissolved. And then for the next 200 years... Nothing really happened. There was all those oral traditions. But a particular rabbi, that he was concerned that those oral traditions would die away. And so he gathered them up and he wrote them. He wrote them down. And that became known as the, uh, the Midrash. The Mid Midrash. And that became known as... It was really the written oral laws that were put into writing now so they wouldn't be lost. And so they used that for another 200 years. Then after another couple of hundred years, then what happened was two other rabbis, they said, well, not everybody agrees with these oral laws and we have some disagreements. So they began to write 
and debate some of these things and put down their writings, uh, and that became known as the Gemara. And the Gemara and the Midrash, then that became the Talmud. And it was volumes and volumes and volumes of all these strange things to try to explain everything. And it covered every facet of Jewish life. And in amongst all of that stuff was all these cures, so-called. And you can be sure this woman, because of the oral traditions known about these, she tried every single one of them. But rather than getting better, she was just getting worse. It was just adding to her nightmare. What a horrible, terrible ordeal. What a miserable existence. Suffered many things of many physicians. And all this was costly. She'd have to pay for all of this. And no wonder she came to the point where she spent all that she had. She was right down to everything was gone. Maybe any savings she had, it was just all gone. Now she is desperate. And it was in the fires of her desperation that her faith was forged. Something began to rise up in her spirit. Faith began to quicken. She began to believe. Socially, that was a real problem. This woman was hemorrhaging. It was highly unpleasant, embarrassing to say the least, unhygienic. My guess is that she wouldn't go out much. She probably stopped socializing. It was too awkward. It was too embarrassing. It was a stigma. And so her whole social life was just cut off. Spiritually, According to the Levitical law, she was ceremonially unclean, which meant she could not go to the temple. And as far as the synagogue was concerned, well, that would be out of bounds. And so her, her church life, if I could put it that way, had stopped. Couldn't do anything like that because had she went there, then she'd have made others ceremonially unclean just by touching them. So now she's beginning to feel what, what a leper would feel like. And so she would have very few of any friends. Couldn't go to church. This woman is now desperate. Only a miracle will suffice. Only God's direct intervention. Constantly suffering, mentally and emotionally racked, spiritually and socially disenfranchised, materially impoverished, desperate. I'm telling you this so that you will get to feel something of what she was feeling and what she was going through. But then there was the determination of her faith. This woman was absolutely determined that she was going to get a breakthrough. Although by this time she was physically and emotionally mentally drained, and yet in spite of that, somehow she managed, in spite of all of that, to muster up determination to press on to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat her faith was a determining factor so in spite of all the setbacks the disappointments the times when her hopes were cruelly dashed when she thought well this will be the cure and that will be the cure and that medicine will do it nothing no balm no pill no potion no magic bullet no doctor no clinic, no consultant, nothing. All hope in the natural was gone. But Mark 5, 27 says, but, but, 
Buts are very important in Scripture. Where you see a but, often you need to stop and think about it. But when she heard about Jesus, Kenneth Wiss, the great Greek scholar, said that means having heard of the things concerning Jesus. Word had spread about the miracle worker. People were hearing about Jesus. This was early on in his ministry, but they were hearing about him. In John 4, 46 and 47, so Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. When he heard that Jesus had come, word had got out. He had traveled down the road. In the neighborhood, they were saying, Jesus is coming this way. Luke 7, 2 and 3. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent the elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and to heal his servant. Up to this point, I think it was probably this woman's just sheer doggedness, her, her never-say-die attitude that just kept her going. But now since she heard about the things concerning Jesus, now her faith is stirring and her faith is growing. Now she's standing up on the inside. Now she's going to make an appointment with Dr. Jesus. <laughs> now she's going to make an appointment with the Lord. In Mark 5, 27, she has to push her way through the multitudes that surrounded Jesus. Everywhere that Jesus went, he was surrounded by great crowds. And who could blame them? So every yard must have felt like a mile. But now that's more than just her desperation of faith that's carrying her on. It's her determination of faith. She's gone from just desperation. Now she's got determination. She's now fully persuaded. Every ounce of faith she got is pushing her towards Christ. If only she could just reach him. Sometimes... Sometimes your greatest battle is just before your greatest breakthrough. And this was your greatest battle. Getting to Jesus with all that she's going through was tough. Tougher than you can imagine. But her greatest battle was just before her greatest breakthrough. Jacob at Jabok wrestled with the angel. All night he wrestled with the angel. He needed a mighty breakthrough. But he had a great battle all night with the angel. In fact, he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. I need a breakthrough. I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. The angel had to touch the hollow of his thigh. That's how much he was clinging on to that. Mary and Martha they sent for Jesus because Lazarus was dying, their dear brother. And they felt for sure that Jesus would come. Why wouldn't he come? He was the friend who stayed at their home, who sat at their table. Jesus loved that home. He felt comfortable there. 
felt totally at ease. They were great companions. He was literally just up the road, just a couple of hours he'd have been there, and they sent for him, but he didn't come, as you know. And I can imagine their frustration and their confusion. Did you say for him to come? Yes, but he hasn't come. Why? I don't know. And I can imagine maybe a little bit of anger mixed in with that. Why wouldn't he come? He's just down the road. And they were battling, struggling. But that was just before their greatest breakthrough that they'd ever have in their lives when Jesus raised their brother from the dead. This woman had some things to overcome first. She was weak in her body. She'd been hemorrhaging. Her blood count must have been very low. Her blood pressure probably was on the floor. I'm sure she had very little iron left in her body. She must have been very, very weak indeed. It must have took a big effort just to make her way to where Jesus was, never mind trying to get through the crowd. She had to fight her way through the crowd. Have you ever been in a crowd that was pressing, that was uncomfortable? Years ago, Sally and I was in Hong Kong. We're getting that ferry over to Kowloon, and we're only there two nights, and you make the best of it. So we decided we would go on the ferry, but we forgot it was rush hour. <laughs> it was commuter time, and we were swept along. I mean, there was just hundreds, if not thousands of people just going in the one direction. We were stuck in the middle, just hoping against hope we're in the right way, that when we get to it, we'll be right here, because there's nothing we could do. You're just swept along. It was uncomfortable, to say the least. And then we went up the peak in one of those big cable car things. They're supposed to hold 20, there's about 40 in it. And I mean, you were just, it was close fellowship, let me tell you. And there's a big Buddhist monk just right in front of my face, and he'd been eating garlic. <laughs> I mean, literally right in front of my face. You were cross-eyed looking at him, you know? <laughs> you do not want to be in a lift with a garlic eater, let me tell you. It's not very pleasant. And so here she is. She's coming to Jesus, but it's jam-packed. And people are jostling. Jesus is now becoming famous. And people want to be near him. And they want to see a miracle. And also, she would be quite fearful of being exposed. What if a neighbor saw her? And what if an old school friend saw her and knew that she was ceremonially unclean and knew that if she touched them, that they too would be ceremonially unclean, would have to go through all kinds of rituals to be clean again. So you can see this was not an easy thing she had to do. It was tough. But for all that, her determination of faith gave her an encounter with Christ. Her determination of faith. Then her declaration of faith. Matthew 9, 21, we didn't read it. For she said to herself, if only I might touch his garment, I shall be made well. 
looking at, she came from behind and touched the border of his garment. She said to herself, the authorized version said she said within herself. So this just wasn't a moment of positive thinking. And there's no harm thinking positively, better than thinking negatively. But that wasn't that. It wasn't she just had a kind of a, a light bulb moment. She said within, this was her faith talking inside. She said within herself, this was her faith talking. If I may but just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole or made well. What was her declaration of faith based upon? Because faith has got to be based upon something. Well, first of all, what she heard about Christ. It had to be more than just optimism because she had her hope stashed many times before. So it was based on two things, what she heard about Christ, the testimonies that she heard. I don't know, but maybe she talked to somebody. Maybe she knew somebody that had been healed. Maybe she quizzed them. And maybe they told her, yes, Jesus touched me and healed me. Look, see. Testimony is a great thing, isn't it? Testimony encourages your faith. Whatever you're going through, if you hear somebody else has gone through that and come out the other side and they have a testimony of the goodness of God, that lifts your faith to believe, doesn't it? But also, and more importantly, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It was because I believe what she knew about the word of God. See, it was not by accident that she said in Luke 8, 44, if I may but touch the border of the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. She was very specific. Did you notice that? She's very specific. She knew exactly which part of the garment she wanted to touch. She had pinpointed it. You see, the talith, the prayer shawl that Jews would wear, on top of that, there would be tassels, zitzis, the tassels in each corner to remind them of the word of God. To this day, Orthodox Jews, observant Jews, because there's lots of Jews who are atheists, or non-observant. There's different branches of Judaism as well. But Orthodox, observant Jews, they wear the prayer shawl and the zizits. You may call them zitzits, zizis. And these are tassels on each corner that hang down. They're split into four. And these, in the book of Numbers, chapter 15, let me just read this. 
towards the end of chapter 15, verse 37, again the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garments throughout their generations, and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. Some say the blue stands for divinity. Some say it stands for royalty. It could be for both. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them that you may not follow the harlotry of which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy for your God. Now we don't know for sure, doesn't say, but could it be in her mind knowing that tradition, obviously, knowing exactly what they were for, knowing that that stands to remind them of the word of God. Maybe, can't say for sure, but maybe she had a promise. Maybe the Spirit of God dropped a promise into her heart from the word of God. Maybe Psalm 103.3, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Or Exodus 15.26, Jehovah Rapha, I'm the Lord who heals you. So maybe she had a promise in her mind and in her heart. And that she believed by just reaching out and just touching the tassel that that promise would come true. I wish I could say for sure that that was what was in her heart and mind. But all I can tell you is that she was determined to touch the hem of his garment. That part. Not the bit that's away down at your feet, but that part it's about waist length. If she could just touch that, for whatever reason she believed it, if I can just touch that, I believe I'll be made well. So here's the demonstration of her faith. Mark 5, 27. When she heard of Jesus, she came behind in the crowd and touched his garment. Notice here that she came behind him in the crowd. Her faith was neither showy or shouty. Now there's a place for her faith to be shouty. Bartimaeus was shouty, wasn't he? In fact, they told him to shut up. He was that shouty. Jesus, thy son of David, have mercy on me. He shouted above the whole crowd and it stopped Jesus in his tracks. Bring him. Remember the cripple at the beautiful gate? Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. And he grabbed him, pulled him up, in the name of Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He danced a jig, didn't he? He literally danced a jig. He danced. And if you'd have got healed that way, you'd have danced too. And I would have danced. Why wouldn't you? And it was showy, but he didn't care. He was healed. He didn't care who saw him. Even Jesus, when he was raising Lazarus from the dead, it says, he said with a loud voice, Lazarus! He shouted. But yet, yet, 
when he went to the home of Jairus after this event and he put everybody out and he just took those three disciples in with him, Peter, James and John. Put them all out, except the mother and father and Peter, James and John. You remember what he had said and they laughed him to scorn. He says, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. <laughs> she literally was dead. But he was making the point, see how easy it'll be for me to waken her up? And he went in there and he said, little girl, I say unto you, arise. And I can't imagine him shouting at this sleeping little child. Can you? I don't think he would. If you went to wake your five-year-old child up in the morning, you wouldn't shout at them, would you? If there were 17 and it was 11 in the morning, you certainly would shout. They might even hear you. But when they're a little child, you maybe touch a sweet cheek and you say, darn, it's time to get up. And so there's a place for shouting, but there's a place for quietness. And this lady was quiet. Quiet. She was determined, but she wasn't demonstrative. She was quiet, she was silent, but she wasn't showy. And there's a place for both. You see, you mightn't be the shouty type, the showy type. You may be the quiet type, but that's okay. It's your faith that counts. It's your faith that counts. And then there was the discovery of her faith. Had not Jesus asked the question, who touched me? In fact, one of the Gospels we read at the beginning said, who touched my garments? He was very specific. Who touched my garments? And here was the discovery of her faith. Somebody touched me, but Master, everybody's touching you. <laughs> Do you not see the crowd? I know that, fellas, but somebody really, really touched me. Because I felt power going out of me. So I know somebody touched me. Not with their flesh, but with their faith. Everybody was touching him with their flesh. They were bumping up against him. But he says, somebody touched me with their faith. And there's a difference. This was the discovery of her faith. Because in Luke 8, even though she had done it quietly, and even though she was in the process of just slipping away out of the crowd, she got her healing, but she didn't want to fuss. Plus, with her condition, she would have been embarrassed, but Jesus wasn't going to let her away with it. <laughs> and turning around, he says, Who touched me? And you can imagine, everybody must have stopped at that point. And everybody must have been looking around to see who the culprit was. The little woman knew the game was up at that point because he must have looked right at her. And she came fearing and trembling. Oh, an unclean woman touching a rabbi? Big no-no. She's in trouble. But she came, it says, and she told him everything in front of everybody. 
why she had come and what she had done and how that she was immediately made whole. She must have felt something go through her. And she knew at that moment, I am healed completely and totally. <laughs> and there she was, giving her testimony. Hadn't planned it. Sometimes the unplanned testimonies are the best, aren't they? I didn't give Ethan much of a chance to think too hard for her testimony on Sunday. Sure, didn't it? <laughs> it kind of sprung it on you, didn't it? Well, I'll give you two days. That's, that's a long time, isn't it? Years ago in here, we used to have... Anybody want to give a testimony? And everybody's looking at the floor and they're looking up at the ceiling. <laughs> and here she is, she gives her testimony. Now remember, there was no precedent for this. This is early on in Jesus' ministry. This had never happened before. Nobody had ever done this before. But she set something in motion. You see, this is what I say about a testimony. A testimony can impact others. It can encourage others just by what you said and what happened to you. In Matthew 14, let me just read you this quickly. Right at the very end of Matthew 14, it says, When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, and when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick and begged, note this, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. Ha! Huh. Where did they get that idea from? The wee woman, her testimony. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. <laughs> See, that's the discovery of her faith. You know, if Jesus hadn't said, who touched me? We never would have known this. It never would have been in the Bible. But he knew. And he knew in 2,000 years, her story would be preached about. And it would encourage the hearers. And then there was a depth of her faith. Somebody touch me, for I perceive power, dynamis. The Bible talks about the power of the Holy Spirit, it's dynamis. It's where we get dynamite and dynamo from, dynamism, that self-generating power. For dynamis, for power, has gone out of me. Something happened in that moment. Even though Jesus had his back to her, and even though she only touched that tassel, but in the spirit something connected. And it was supernatural, and it happened. And if you or I are ever going to get a miracle, a real miracle of God, it's going to be a supernatural thing. It's not going to be a natural, it's going to be a supernatural thing. And sometimes that's the only thing that's going to make the difference, isn't it? And then he says, woman, be whole of your affliction or of your plague, one of the Gospels said. Be whole. Again, Kenneth Wist, he said, it's in the continuous 
be continually made whole. So this wasn't going to be something that's going to keep recurring. This was going to be something that would last. It would be continuous. She would be continually made whole. Hmm. That would be a big bonus for her too. She'd never, ever, ever have to worry about this ever again. It would be continually made whole. Affliction here, we're just about closing. Affliction here and plague is mastic, which means scourge or whip. It's a Roman term. The thing that whipped her for 12 years was whipped by faith in Christ. <laughs> that thing whipped her for 12 years. But in a moment, in an instant, Christ gave her a miracle and whipped that right out of her life forever. So this is an encouragement. We're not there yet. I'm not saying my faith is like this little woman. But what I'm saying is it's an encouragement, isn't it? It's an encouragement to believe God's word. It's an encouragement to trust God. It's an encouragement to say, well, God, there is nothing impossible with you. Nothing. Even though she was in such a state beyond any help, but yet, 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 she got her miracle. And she was made perfectly whole from that moment to the rest of her life, to the day she died. She never suffered that again. Amen? Could we pray? Lord, we know through your word that nothing is impossible to you. Nothing is impossible to him who believes. Lord, help us to believe. We say that the man in the Bible says, Lord, I believe. Help my own belief. Lord, help us to go that extra little bit and touch that tassel and be made perfectly whole. Lord, for those who are struggling and suffering and through illness and debilitation and all the rest of it tonight, Lord, Lord, I pray that as we reach out and trust you and believe you, that you will give a miracle. Supernatural because you're a supernatural God. Nothing is impossible to you. So help us, Lord, or help our faith to be lifted again. It's maybe been dashed, Lord, maybe low at this moment, but leave it, Lord, if it's just like a grain of mustard seed, you said, it can still move a mountain. So we give you thanks for it. We bless you for that little woman's tenacity and faith. Lord, it's an encouragement to us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.